All right, thanks. So we're going to start out this morning right before the message really quick with a question that was in the box. Uh, it's been in there for a little while. I got uh, this past week. Uh, if you'll turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5 real quick, I have a couple of references. And while you're turning there, if you do not have a Bible or if you do not have a, like if you'd like a study Bible, this is a hardback, very good study Bible. Got this at the book sale the other day, uh, other week. Uh, actually, Bibles they give away, they don't sell them. So this was free, didn't cost me a penny. If you would like one, please see me after the service and I'll get, Linda wants one. I'll get it to you, Linda, after the service. You remind me. Thank you for that. Okay, um, so the question that was given to me, if you'll look at 1 Thessalonians 5 with me this morning for just a moment, and we're going to look at a couple other passages. The question, uh, one of the references, there are about four or five there, and, or six actually, and, and then I've got a couple I have, but I'm only going to look at a couple of references for time's sake this morning. But the question is, are soul and spirit distinct from each other? Uh, and then if our saved soul goes to heaven when we die, what of the spirit, where does it go? So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, as you know, as you remember. For the believer, the Bible is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. So 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which the, um, and, and again, you don't have to write your name on, on the questions, that's fine. Uh, but whoever wrote this question, I hope they're here today. If not, then maybe they'll hear it on the, on the uh, podcast, answer for it. But um, if you look with 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God. Your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the word spirit, soul, body, those are three. Everyone's made up of those three. Everybody has a spirit, a soul, and a body. Uh, God does a lot of things in threes. Um, and threes for spirit, soul, and body is one of the, one of the ways. You know, God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. He's a trinity. And so he made human beings in a sense a trinity in that we have a spirit, a soul, and a body. And so this verse is, to, to use lack of a better term, is a definitive verse on that fact that we all have a spirit, a soul, and a body. But if you'll go with me to the right for just a moment, to the book of, uh, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, concerning the spirit and the soul, actually, and the body too. Verse 12 of Hebrews 4. For the word of God is quick, that means it's living, it's alive. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So even if we, as we study the scripture, we see some things about both spirit and soul as you read and study it, but whatever we do or don't understand, the word of God does. It's, it, in fact, it says it can divide those asunder, the soul, soul and the spirit. And then look at this, it says, and of the joints and the marrow. That has to do with the body. Um, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the spirit, the soul, and the body are all distinct from each other. And so when, a Christian, when someone dies, uh, go with me to, um, now these will be in the Old Testament. Go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes doesn't have a lot of deep doctrine in it, but it does say something here that's doctrinal. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So the question, let me read it again while you're turning there to keep the question fresh in your mind. Are soul and spirit di distinct from each other? And the verses we've seen, and there are other verses as well, that show us that it certainly is. If our saved soul goes to heaven when we die, what of the spirit, where does it go? Ecclesiastes 12, look with me at verse, um, verse 6 and 7. Now in this chapter... The writer of Ecclesiastes, which is Solomon, he's writing about, uh, he's writing this book in his older age. He's getting on up in years at this time. And when you read through this passage here in these verses, you see where he's describing the body is, is in certain ways. Like he talks about um, the windows 
uh, in a verse there, a previous verse, talking about the eyes. And he talks about the grinders in verse number three, I believe it is, which is our teeth. And then look at verse number five and six. And when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden. In other words, the things that, uh, some things that we hear just kind of really get on our nerves. And desire shall fail. I don't think we have to comment on that on some things. Some days it really fails when we're tired, right? Because man goeth to his long home, that's our eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Verse 6, uh, or ever the silver cord be loosed or the golden bowl be broken, uh, the pitcher at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. Now verse 7, then shall the, uh, the, the dust return to the earth as it was. God made us from dust and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So, uh, when we die, our spirit, uh, according to this verse, definitely goes to be with God in heaven. I'm going to put all this together in just a moment. Genesis 35. One more. Genesis 35. And then I'm going to give you a reference because we don't really have time to turn or we'll be, we'll be uh, bumping into our sermon time. Genesis 35. Uh, look at verse 17 and 18. This is back um, recording the death of Rachel. Remember Jacob's wife Rachel, and uh, when she was in labor, she had she she was dying as she as she gave birth. Um, says uh, start at verse seventeen of Genesis thirty five. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the wife said, in, midwife said, "Here, fear not; thou shalt have this son also." And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, and his father called his name Benjamin. So, uh, the spirit and the soul leave the body at death. So, when we see a body, uh, we go to visit the funeral home, and we see in that casket, see a body there. That body uh, is is the third part of that makeup of who we are. Our spirit and soul are gone. So in the New Testament, both Jesus and Paul refer to the body as being asleep, but that's not the spirit of the soul. Uh, the Bible does not teach soul sleep. It does not teach that at all. In fact, the Bible says for the Christian, our spirit and soul are with him. Our body is asleep in the sense that it's laying there waiting until we get a new body. So just to give you a reference, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the, body tell, uh, the Bible tells us for to be absent from the body our spirit and soul, is to be present with who? With the Lord. So for the believer, when we die, our spirit and soul leave this body and go directly to be with our Savior, go, go to be with Him. And our body is buried. It's placed in the ground, or those who cremate it's cremated, but our body is buried to some degree. It's buried. And so the Scripture tells us that our spirit and soul are with the Lord, but the body is kind of on a uh, layaway plan. <laughs> so when Jesus comes at the rapture, he will, uh, those who are dead in Christ will rise first, their bodies. And people say, well, there are skeptics about that. Say, well, what about people that were burned? What about people that were in explosion? Can God find that? Look, if God can make this universe, do you think it's going to be a problem for him to put somebody's body together? Absolutely not. It's going to be a piece of cake for him. And he will put that body together. And in the, as they go up in the air, Scripture says, they will be changed in the, in the moment of the twinkling of the eye. They will receive a new body as they go up. You and I, if we're alive during the rapture, and I hope we will be, uh, the Bible says we'll be caught up and we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We'll have a brand new body because this body cannot inhabit eternity. Even the living bodies right now, we can't. We have to be given a new body to be in eternity with our Savior. So spirit and soul, they are different and that's where they go when we die. So whoever asked that question, I hope that helps. If not, then maybe some follow-up. But if they're not here today, maybe they'll hear it on the 
on the uh, podcast. All right, now, got to move quickly. Go with me over to the Gospel of John, John chapter 2. John 2, um, we'll, we'll be there in just a moment, but we're going to start in uh, reference in Philippians 2 that we were in last week. So we started a series of messages back uh, before Christmas talking about Jesus, the Alpha and Omega. And so we looked at uh, so far, four messages. This will be our fifth message, I believe. Uh, we looked at Jesus in eternity past, as we call it, before he was born. Uh, he's always been. Uh, and then the, and we talked about uh, his birth as our second message. We talked about that at Christmas time. And then I believe it was the first, maybe the second Sunday of the year, or maybe it was the last Sunday of December. We talked about Jesus uh, as he as, as years growing up and talked about him, um, uh, what his childhood was like from Scripture and what it was likely what he likely uh, endured as a child and things that he learned as a child because what we know from history. And so we looked at that. And then we looked last week, we talked about uh, Jesus as uh, the God man, as man. We, we looked at the emphasis on his uh, being human, being, being a man, being human. So this week we're going to look at the God man as God. Both of the passages that lead into that are in Philippians 2. Uh, verse um, for for time's sake, we're going to pick up at verse uh, six. Who being in the form Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So today we'll look at. Jesus, the God-man, as God. Last week, if you missed it, it's on our podcast site, our, our audio site, that you can go back and listen to that, the God-man as man. The Bible says in Revelation 1, verse 8, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. So we're looking at the Alpha and Omega from the beginning until uh, future um, prophecy, future uh, events. We'll look at that in our last message. So look with me, if you will, uh, in the Gospel of John, the Bible says that uh, Jesus, we, we looked at last week, talked about his humanity when he came to earth to be our Savior. He had to be both of those. He had to be man and God, not just one or the other. So he became man. Uh, he took on a, a body, human body. He was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary. And so let's look at a few things today about this. Uh, how do we know that Jesus is deity? How do we know that he is indeed God? There are a lot of skeptics out there in um, uh, the secular world who want to deny him being God. There are a lot of cults that teach that Jesus uh, was not entirely God. And as we talked about last week, I won't go back into that, but how there are those who believe that he became the Christ at certain times of his ministry, from the time of his ministry, and then the Christ would leave him. And he would be, again, a man, and then the Christ would come back. All baloney. It's just it's nothing that the cults have now that's new. That's been way, way back since the first century when, when there were false doctrine, false teaching going on. So it's nothing new. So let's look at this today. How do we know that he is indeed deity? Last week we saw how, he is, how we know he's God. Let's look at this. Look with me at John chapter 2 and verse number 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. So, as you know, in the verses previous, uh, in the first several verses of chapter 2, it's where Jesus attended the wedding in Cana of Galilee, and he turned the water into wine, did the miracle there. And uh, the Bible says um, 
that uh, many uh, had believed on him. It talks about, in fact, that his disciples, verse 11, this was the beginning of miracles that Jesus did in Cain of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, the fact that he's deity, that he's God. And his disciples believed on him. And so we see, first of all, we know that he is deity, that he is God because of the miracles he did. In fact, look at the next chapter. If you're right there, maybe the same page, chapter 3 in John. Look at verse 1 and 2. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Now he's not saying right here definitely that he is God. He's not, but look what he says. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So Nicodemus was thinking right. He was thinking ahead. And he was realizing this is not just an ordinary man. If he was, how could he do these miracles? How could he indeed perform the miracles that he's done? Because he had uh, obviously heard about them. Word of mouth had gotten out on the street about, obviously, about the um, miracle at uh, Cana of Galilee where he turns the water into wine. So in theology, an event or effect contrary to established course of things uh, or a deviation, the laws of nature, a supernatural event, is what we would know from Scripture as a miracle. It's not, it's not a, if it was happened all the time, it'd be called a usual. It's a miracle because it's something that doesn't happen all the time. I mean, it wasn't every day they went to, to a wedding and here are these big, huge pots of water, and all of a sudden they turn into wine. That wasn't an everyday occurrence. Miracles can be wrought only by God's almighty power. Only he can do that. Um, when Christ healed the lepers, um, uh, he said, when they wanted him um, to heal them, he said, I will be thou clean immediately. They were healed. Uh, in the tempest of the storm, whenever the storm came to rage, he said, peace be still, the, the storm uh, ceased immediately. Only the creator and the sustainer of time and space, the elements and the laws of science can change or rearrange the makeup of the operation of those laws. Only God could do that. And so they knew this was not some ordinary man. They knew that there was more to him than that. And then as we'll see as we go by, uh, go through today, and, and then really the rest of our study on Alpha and Omega, it was not only that, but the words that he said, as we'll see in a moment, matched what he did. And they knew this was not some ordinary man. This was the very creator of scientific laws, and only he can change them over a period of time. Only he can do that. Uh, again, the example of water and wine, a change of the makeup of the elements of water completely changed uh, to heal a withered hand, a palsied hand, one that was obviously you could see it. That hand wasn't normal. It wasn't right. It was it was uh, there was an affliction there. And all of a sudden immediately changes that. And so we see uh, from Scripture, the miracles that Jesus performed proves that he's God. But there's more. Let's look at the second thing. Uh, go with me over to. Um, the book of Matthew, Matthew 14. And as we saw last week, there's a lot of scripture to go with this. And this particular kind of uh, sermon series of study, there needs to be because this helps us to be grounded in the truths of what we're looking at about who Jesus is. The second thing is the reason we know that Jesus indeed is deity, that he's God, not only by his miracles, but also Jesus received worship as God. He received worship that God would, would receive, that only God would receive. The word worship really is an old English word. It comes from two compound words, worth, W-O-R-T-H, 
and ship, S-H-I-P. We use ship in a lot of things like uh, the word uh, fellowship. It's a state or condition of one thing, of how these things are connected. It's a state or condition of the thing in which it's connected with. We use it with fellowship, uh, two or more fellows in the same ship. You know, it, we use it as uh, a compound word. And so worship comes from an old English word, worth-ship. We have something and and uh, uh, that's uh, worthy of our of, of our praise. Worship is to place worth on something or someone, which we know is Jesus. Jesus is indeed worthy of our worship. Look at chapter fourteen of Matthew, verse thirty-two and verse thirty-three. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. He had just performed a miracle. In fact, uh, previous verses, verse four, uh, thirty-three. Then they were, that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. They worshipped him there um, because they knew that this was not a man, that this indeed they called him the Son of God, knowing that he indeed is God in the flesh. Now, did they understand everything about it? Not yet, obviously. They didn't, they didn't understand everything about it yet. But they did know through this miracle, now they realize. Remember from the water turned to wine, the disciples believed on him. Now they know that he indeed is God and that he is worthy of worship. Over in the book of Revelation, there's a place where John the Apostle is um, there in the book of Revelation. There is an, an angel that's talking to him. And John was just so taken by what he said. And he, be, he was going to fall his feet. And he said, don't do that. I'm an angel. You don't worship me. You worship God only. And so Jesus received worship as God because he's God. So we know he's God because of miracles. We know he's God because of worship that he received. Go with me to John again. Most of these are probably going to be in, in the Gospel of John, but uh, we're going to be all around the New Testament. Um, John chapter 9, if you'll go there with me. John 9 and verse 35 through verse 39. John 5 verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. This is where he had just healed a man, uh, healed a blind man, in fact. Uh, I mean, healed, no, I'm sorry, healed a man um, in this chapter here. Um, yeah, he was blind. And then when they asked, when the Pharisees, the leaders asked him about it, he said, you know, who healed you? Who did this? Uh, where is he? He said, I don't know. I know that I was blind and now I see. I know that I have been healed. And so when they heard that from that man, that wasn't the answer the Pharisees wanted. They didn't want that answer. They didn't want to hear that this Jesus had performed this miracle. Um, look at verse 35 then. Because of that, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, the man that had been healed, that Jesus had just healed. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Verse 38. And he said, Lord, I believe. He believed on him right there. He trusted him there. His salvation was secure there, I believe. And he what? Worshipped him. He worshipped Jesus there as God, the Son of God, as God was deserving of worship because he's God. He never stopped him. He never said, don't do that. No, he, he, he deserved the worship uh, that the man gave. And so we see by um, the fact that he received worship as God. But it, goes, it gets a little better. Go to, uh, with me to Mark. I mentioned we'll be in John, but this time we're going to go to Mark. In fact, two of these are right next to each other, so we'll be there for just a moment. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And this is the third thing. 
Not only because of his miracles and that he received worship as God, but third, because of his ability to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sin. Look with me in Mark 2, verse 1. I'll just read the, uh, um, the account here that leads into this verse. Um, verse 1, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. This is a man that could not walk on his own power. He had to be brought by their help, by four people who, who brought him and in, in, uh, were going to bring him to Jesus. Verse 4. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, press gets in the way a lot of things, doesn't it? They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. So these people were creative. They're like, we're going to get him to Jesus one way or the other. We know what he can do. We've heard it. And maybe they'd seen it with their own eyes. We know what this Jesus can do. So they couldn't get in the house. Too many people there standing there. Too many, many people outside. We'll just do it. We'll just do it another way. We'll go through the roof. You know, sometimes in life there are things that are that way. You know, you look at sometimes with a conventional wisdom and it's like, it's not working. Well, let's back up and look and find a way that it'll work. If it's something that God's leading in, let's do it. That's what these men did. They knew that this man needed to be healed. They knew Jesus was the one that could do it. So they break up the roof uh, and go to see him. Uh, you, ever hear, you ever hear anybody say that um, if I go to church, the roof will cave in? So anyway, so it broke it up, let down the bed, one of the sick of the palsy lay, verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Verse 7, or verse 6. When, um, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, trying to figure it all out. See, verse, uh, verse 7. Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? He wasn't. But look at their qu uh, second question. Who can forgive sins but God only? Add two and two, scribes. Put two and two together. If he said that that man's sins were forgiven and only God can give sins, what does the equation come out to, right? I never was good at math, but I can figure that one out. So he is indeed God by his ability, his power to forgive sins. Only God can do that. Only God can forgive. He told, God told his people way back in the Old Testament, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Only God can forgive sins. Only he can do that, and he, he does that indeed through his son Jesus Christ, and Jesus proved there his ability to forgive sins. So third reason, we know that Jesus is indeed God, and he has the ability to forgive sins. The Bible says in 1 John 1 verse 9, for the Christian, if we, if we um, confess our sins, uh, God is faithful and just forgives our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He gives us that promise in 1 John that when we sin, He will forgive us, and only God can do that. And so the ability to forgive sins. Fourth of all, look with me, uh, same chapter, uh, verse 5 through 8. Um, we, we read verse five, uh, 5 through 7, but pick that back up at verse 7, then we'll lead into verse 8. Uh, why, um, excuse me, back up verse 6. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? This is the fourth thing. Verse 8. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they, were, that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Number four is by the ability to know the thoughts and motives of anyone. Now when Jesus was God in the flesh on earth as a man, he was limited to time. 
Um, he was limited to space. He was in one place at one time. And, then, you know, he'd walk from place to place. He was limited in that sense. But as God, there were still things he was able to do and know as God. And he could read hearts and minds by the ability to know thoughts and motives. Even here as a human being, he was God in the flesh. He could do that because he indeed is God. The Bible tells us over in Psalm 139, David the, uh, wrote most, over half the Psalms. He said in Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. So by the ability to know thoughts and to know motives. And then fifth of all, um, go back with me to Matthew for a moment. Then we're going to go to, uh, to John and see two examples of this very same thing. Uh, by the claims of others. We've got one more point after this. But fifth of all, by the claims of other people. Matthew 16. Verse 13, Jesus had been ministering with his disciples at some time, for some time now. And at this point, John the Baptist had been uh, beheaded, <coughs> excuse me, beheaded and martyred. But pick up at Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, so one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Okay, we know you've told me that, and I understand you're telling what other people say, but who do you say I am? Who am I to you? Who am I? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He knew in, with no doubt in his mind that he was indeed Jesus. He's the Christ. He is the Son of God, God in the flesh. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, uh, that that name is a is a title name. It means son of Jonah. So that was his, his, uh, a name for his, his dad or, or descended from. For for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So the very claim of Simon Peter, um, you say, well, he was a disciple. He had to say it. He was a disciple. That's why he could say it. Because he had spent so much time with Jesus. As we talked about last week, he saw him because of being a man. He saw when Jesus got tired. Remember when he fell asleep in the, in the ship when the storm had come up? He was asleep. He saw him as a man and realized that um, more than anyone else around would. But yet he also saw the miracles firsthand, as many others saw. But he saw them, and he saw both. And in that, he realized this is not just a man. This is indeed the Son of God. Uh, one more, John 20. John chapter 20. This is after Jesus had uh, been crucified and rose from the dead. And after his resurrection, he appears later on that what we call uh, resurrection day, Easter Sunday resurrection day. He appears to his disciples minus Thomas. Thomas is not there that day when he appears to the others, to the other ten. And then a week later, the next first day of the week, the next Sunday, he appears to them again. John 20, pick up at verse 25. Um, uh, actually, verse 24. Then Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Talking about the week before. Verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. He said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of his, na of his nails, of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side where the spear had, had thrust, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. 
Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach, reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. He knew indeed that Jesus is, was and is God in the flesh. He previously was known for that refusal to believe the week before, but now he sees, now he knows and understands. First um, Timothy 3.16, the Bible says that God was manifest in the flesh. And Paul saw himself, saw the resurrected Jesus. On the Damascus Road especially, he saw him um, whenever Jesus uh, called him out of, the, out of the heaven and he, he fell on his knees and um, he asked him, you know, you're perse- who are you persecuting? You're persecuting me when he was persecuting the church. And so Jesus says, look, you're doing that to them. You're doing that to me. And then he, he, um, he had seen the, the risen Savior also later on. And so that's how he was an apostle. And so he, uh, he saw and realized that, that he was indeed God in the flesh. Sixth of all, and this is, um, all of these lead up to this one. Go back to, to John with me. These will be in John and we'll close here in just a moment. Look, go with me to John chapter uh, 19, if you will. I mean, no, I'm sorry. Go with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Um, in, in, in this last point, Jesus, we know He's God because of His own claim to be God. Now, there are a lot of liberals out there that say Jesus never claimed to be God. He never made a statement that He indeed was God. Well, let's look at this. Let's break this down and find out for sure what was said about and what wasn't said. And John, 5, while you're going to John 8, if you're not already there, let me quote a verse from John 5, verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill Him because He not only had broken the Sabbath, but also said that God was His Father, making Himself equal with God. So you, we're going to see how this goes from Jesus making that statement until He comes straight out and tells them in language they would understand plainly that He indeed is God in the flesh. So they had picked up stones to throw at Him. They were going to to kill Him because they were charging Him with blasphemy. In the Old Testament, under Old Testament law, which they were under, which Jesus lived under during His ministry, there were a few things which were punishable by death. One of them was what was called blasphemy. That is speaking uh, against or, or uh, speaking um, in place of God. In fact, a false prophet, if they were called as a false prophet, they would be stoned. And so uh, blasphemy is, is in that range of things, something false about God. So they were accusing him of blasphemy because they knew that he said he was, God was his father, making himself equal with God. Equal would mean that he's the same as God, therefore is God. Look with me at John chapter 8. Now this is the passage where it begins with Jesus and um, they, become, uh, they bring the Pharisees, some of them bring this uh, woman that was supposedly caught in the act of adultery, minus the man, however that works. Um, and so there she was and Jesus, of course, as you know, he uh, stooped down, put wrote in the ground and all of them began to walk away because whatever he was writing on the ground they were convinced, convicted in their own mind, their own conscience, that they couldn't throw a stone. They themselves were not without sin. And so eventually Jesus tells her, uh, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Uh, and so then he begins to talk in verse 12, speak about, I'm the light of the world. And then while he's, during chapter 8, this is one of the places he gets in this huge confrontation with the Pharisees. The Pharisees, most of them, throughout the rest of their lives, Never believed them. There were some that were saved according to the book of Acts. There were Pharisees eventually that were saved, that were born again. But as a group, 
they rejected his claims in any way to be God or to be sent from God. And so it says, uh, skip down with me to verse, uh, look with me at verse 58. As he's having, as he, tell, as he tells them in these verses um, uh, about who he is and about why he came. And then they begin to accuse him of some things. They even accuse him of, of being an illegitimate uh, son. And so they accused him of a lot of different things. Um, and he tells them uh, in this chapter, he had already said, if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. He tells them, look at verse 47, he that is of God, Heareth God's words, ye therefore hear them not, because you're not of God. Now that wasn't making friends with them, was it? Jesus wasn't set out to make friends with them. And the Pharisees were those you couldn't make friends with. He had to be in their face. In fact, later on in in Matthew 23, he tells them, look, because of your um, uh, disregard for all the truth of the word of God, you're basically sending people to hell yourselves. I mean, he raked them over the coals in Matthew 23. But here, look what he says in verse, uh, pick up at verse 50. Uh, I said 58. Let's back up to 54. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yea, ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. That's not making friends, is it? But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. Pause. Now, Scripture doesn't say this. I can almost guarantee if the Lord takes us back one day to see this on video, they were standing around laughing at him. But the laughter would end pretty quick. Verse 57. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet 50 years old, and thou hast seen Abraham. Here it comes, right out of the box. They'll never be, the Pharisees would never be able to deny that Jesus said that he is God. Jesus, verse 8, said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Am. They knew what that meant. Back in Exodus, when God called Moses, and he was there in the, he said, Take your shoes off, your sandals off, you're standing on holy ground. He sees this bush burning that didn't burn up. Moses, I want you to release, I want you, I want you to, uh, to take my people, get them out of Egypt. I want you to be their savior, so to speak. I want you to get them out of Israel. I, want, I mean, out of Egypt, bring them into the land that I will have for them, bring them out. Who do I say sends me, is sending me? Tell them that I am that I am. That's a name for God. That's a title for God. Every one of these Pharisees knew it very well. All the scribes, all the Sadducees, everyone knew that title meant God. It wasn't I was or I'm going to be. He's I am. He's always been. He is now. He will always be. And when he said before Abraham was I am, that is what did it. Look at verse 59. Then they took up stones to cast at him. What did they stone people for? Blasphemy. He just came out and said, I am God. But Jesus hid himself and went through the temple, going through the midst of them, so passed by. Because with other references we see, it wasn't his time yet. He didn't hide because he was afraid of them. He knew his time was not yet. He had to go to a cross. The Bible says none of his bones would be broken. And throwing rocks at people, it's it's more than just bruises, if you know what I'm saying. It would have broken bones, and that would have gone against the Old Testament prophecy of who he was and why he came. So he knew that his time wasn't yet, but that did it. The moment he said that, they wanted to stone him there because now, first he said he was equal, made himself equal with God, saying that he proceeded from the Father. Now he tells them, before Abraham was, 
I am, well, they didn't like that. So if you ever get in a discussion with a liberal, if they'll listen to you, and they'll say that Jesus never said he's God, take them there and show them that, that he indeed is God in the flesh. His own claim to be God. There's some other places as well that we could go to. John 10, if you'd like to write down references while we're here, in verse 30 to 42. And then John 14, verse 8 and 9, some more references about Jesus uh, that he definitely is God, and he did make that claim. So we see those six reasons today, and we're running a little late, but let me mention this. Let's make this practical. Number one, as a believer, do you ever do this? This is a great thing to apply just from what we've learned so far in these messages, and especially today. Just stop and say, Lord, thank you that you are God. Thank you that you created me. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you made very clear your plan of salvation, that you've saved me. Thank you, Lord, for being God. Thank you that you are. Um, you say, well, that's not going to change things if we thank him or don't thank him. It may not, but certainly something from the heart is an attitude of worship. Thank you for being God. Number two, simply say, Lord, I take you at your word. He ran the Pharisees across the coals because he said, you, you, hear my word. you don't hear my father's words because you're not of God. Thank him. Say, Lord, I want to take you at your word. If you've never trusted him, I trust you as my Savior. I take you as your word, at your word. I believe what you say. And so as a Christian, uh, carrying on in through our Christian life, Lord, I just want to take you at your word. I want to believe what you said. And, and as I study or read and understand, the more I study and read and understand, I want to take you at your word. Third of all, Lord, search my thoughts now as you did then. Hebrews 4 verse 12, I read that a while ago in our question about soul and spirit. Um, his word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. I said before, the Bible's the only book in the world that when we read it, it reads us. It says he is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. Lord, search me. As David said in Psalm 139, search me, know my heart, see if there be any wicked way and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me the right direction. Number four, Simply say also, not only thanking him that he's God and that we take him at his word and to search us, but number four, Lord, thank you for truth. Thank you for truth. I know we're running late, but go back with me to Proverbs real quick. And we'll close with this passage. This has become a favorite passage of mine recently uh, in the last year or so. I just love this passage. Go with me to Proverbs 22. Jesus told the disciples, in fact, before he was crucified, he told the disciples this. And Thomas is the one that asked this question. Lord, you know, you say you, you, we, we're to know where you're going. How can we know? How can we know the way that you're going? Speaking of his death and, and crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. No one else can come to the Father, or no one can come to the Father but by me. Look with me at Proverbs 22. And if you highlight your Bible or you make notes, or if you want to go back and read these verses, this is rich. So, folks, as I say, God is a God of certainty. He's a God of assurance. When we meet God on His terms, He will give us boatloads of assurance of who He is, of His Word. When we believe what He says, He's going to give us the assurance we need. Look with me at Proverbs 22. Pick up at verse 17. I love this passage. Bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee, they shall withal be fitted in thy lips." that thy trust may be in the Lord. Truth is going to lead us to Him. I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge? Here we go, verse 21. That I might make thee to know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mayest understand the words of truth to them that send unto thee. I love that verse. 
we as believers in Jesus Christ, we can be certain every day of our life, when we lay our, lay our head on the pillow at night, when we wake up in the morning, all during the day, no matter what events come our way, we can know the certainty of who God is, why He loves us, why He sent His Son to die for us, the, the, what He has for us while we're here until He takes us home. We can know the certainty of the words of truth. Isn't that a great verse of assurance? I hope you'll take that passage home and read it and apply it. I love that verse very much. So, Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that I can trust in what you said. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the day you blessed us with. And thank you for the truth of your Son, the Lord Jesus. As we saw last week, he was God in the flesh. God is man. The, man, the God-man is man. Just as much man as if he were not God, though he certainly was and is, and just as much God as if he were not man, though he certainly was and is. And then today, we've seen from his miracles and his ministry, the claims of others, his own claims, that he indeed is God the Son, the Son of God. He is God. And I thank you, Lord, that you are God. We thank you today for being God, that uh, as our Savior, you understand us from the human side because you endured things that we endure or many such things like. But then as God, because of that empathy and that sympathy that you have for believers, the Bible tells us to come to your boldly to your throne of grace, to bring any need of our life for grace and mercy in time of help, need for help. Thank you for that promise today. Thank you that as we worship you, we worship you as God in the flesh today. And the songs we've already sung this morning, we're grateful for your salvation. Lord, I pray today as we... Uh, look at these words and think about who you are. Maybe today someone has understood clearly that Jesus indeed is the Christ. He is God the Son, the Son of God. And when he went to the cross, it wasn't just for a good cause. It wasn't because he was a, a good man who stood for what he believed in. It's because he's the Savior of all mankind, of anyone who placed their faith in him, that will place their faith, their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the finished work of the cross and the resurrection. Thank you so much, Father for sending your son. And Lord, I pray maybe someone who may listen to this has never trusted Christ, they'll trust him. I pray today for believers, Lord. I pray this is something that equips us to make us stronger in our faith, deeper in our faith, and understanding who God is, why you came, who Jesus is, why you came, Lord. And the fact that you're God, you always will be God, and we thank you for all that we go through, whatever we face, that we can face it with our Savior and to know, Lord, that one day we'll be in your presence. Thank you for your promises today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's close with a verse or a course. Uh, but if you'll come and, and lead us, um, we'll dismiss. And if you'll stand, and then after we sing, as we dismiss, make sure if you didn't get a chance to welcome our visitors, we're glad they're here today, and hope that they'll uh, be back very soon. What number, or what number were they, buddy? Number 18?